I, I still think I sort of drew a little bit of a short straw with anything to do with Ecclesiastes um, is often uh, uh, quite a short is is a bit of a tricky one and if you follow the reading this morning you, if you've read Ecclesiastes and you've looked into it before you probably understand what was going on about if you haven't it's po- you're probably wondering what are all these grinders and what are all these things that are being referred to like keepers of the house trembling and strong men being bent um, it talks about grinders cease anybody take a guess for what the grinders are teeth teeth so i heard teeth okay yeah so some people are beginning to pick up on some of those themes there um, <laughs> you know it characterizes things so accurately um, the almond tree blossoms. Anybody know what that's maybe think referring to? Steve hair. is pointing to his hair. So yes, um, white hair, and so on. So if you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, you're thinking, what is this guy going on about? And even though we're speaking about chapter 12 and the conclusion of the preacher, who <coughs> all it is is the preacher is the person who wrote Ecclesiastes. And actually, it's not just the preacher, because all scripture is written by God. And if God had not stood right behind the book of Ecclesiastes, which most of us avoid, um, and preachers certainly avoid teaching on, then it would not be in the Bible. But it is, because God understands that we can get something from it. But boy, is it a tough read at times. Not because it is difficult to follow. It's not like the genealogies of um, chronicles and kings, you know, that you're reading the same pattern for 30 verses. X begot Y and then Z begot and so on and you read that for 30 verses. It's not particularly like that. It actually has a lot of interesting statements but many of them don't quite add up. Anybody relate or is it just me? Have you read Ecclesiastes? It's a bit of a tough thing. You, you see some things and you think, wow, that is profound. And then the next verse, what? <laughs> you know, it, it's like, there's, a, there's one that says the race is not for the swift. Anybody recognize that? And, and it just goes on to say effectively that it's not because you're wealthy or it's not because you're good that you're successful, not because of this, that it's actually you're expecting him to go on and say, except God does something, and he says, it's time and chance. That's not a biblical, godly approach to life. If it's time and chance, then why pray? Why do anything? Because it's just chance that happens to anyone. And so you get these mixed up statements in Ecclesiastes. And actually when you think about who wrote Ecclesiastes, and I know people love to debate this stuff, but I just think it's Solomon. And I, I know that some say, oh, but generally when you're reading the Bible, the simplest outcome is probably the right one. In, in a couple of places it says, I was the king of, his, of, of, of Israel in Jerusalem, the son of David. We relate that Solomon, the Bible says, he, he was given a gift of wisdom. The Bible says he was given breath of mind. When you think about that, he was wiser, the Bible says, than anyone in Egypt or in the East. 
anyone that ever lived. And it goes on to say, I think, I have it here, but I'm, I'm just going to... He wrote, I think it was 3,000 proverbs, songs 1,005. He spoke about trees, he spoke about animals, he spoke about all sorts of things, did Solomon. It feels a little bit obvious that it's Solomon. Now people try to create all kinds of things. I'm just going to assume, for purposes of simplicity, that it was Solomon. But at the end of everything, it doesn't really matter whether it was Solomon or not. But just for simplicity, because I can't keep saying, I'm the writer of Ecclesiastes. And the preacher, I'm just going to relate to that. So when you think about someone like Solomon, as wise as he was, would you agree with me that Solomon wasn't particularly known for his walk with God? Yeah? He wasn't particularly known for that. The Bible says in 1 Kings 11, Solomon loved many foreign women. He loved, he had loads of wives from the tribes that God had specifically said do not intermarry with those tribes because they will lead you astray and to foreign gods I think he had 300 wives or something like that 700 sorry and 300 concubines that's a lot of that that's a lot of time just engaging that number of people <laughs> Yeah, imagine your household just having that number of people. But at the end, in verse 9 it says the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Now when you put that context back into the book of Ecclesiastes, you start to begin to see stuff. This is a guy who had wisdom and was extremely wise, profoundly wise, breadth of mind. The capacity he had to think and to analyze and to process stuff was like no one else. He had, I say had, a relationship with God, but it was not quite where it should be. And he starts to write about life. You are going to get mixed up stuff, right? That's what you're going to get. But the beauty of it is, you're going to get some sense of God hanging over things, even if there's a lack of clarity around the link between what God is doing and his involvement and engagement in, the, in life in general. And that's why you get sort of stuff that's somewhat mixed up. And actually what you find is many people who don't have a God-centered worldview will read Ecclesiastes and relate to it. They'll relate to the futility of several activities. They'll relate to the unfairness of life. They will relate to the seeming randomness of things that happen. They will be able to relate to those. And in fact, some of us, if we analyze life in general, we can relate to this stuff. What? Why did that happen? How does that fit in the grand scheme of all I know? It just doesn't fit. And I can't even locate it in the logic and rationale. I can't. Has anything happened to you or seen anything happen that you just think, I'll just place that in the parking lot because I don't, I just, it's out there somewhere. So we can all relate to these sorts of things. But this is where uh, this guy was. And we have the, 
the benefit, or rather I, am really fortunate that we're only looking at the conclusion. And I don't need to cover chapter 11, 10, 9, 7, 8, and so on, because the stuff there is much, <laughs> is much harder to cover in itself. Uh, it's an interesting read, please do so, and read that. But let's just touch on the conclusion for a second before we wind our way back to how did we get here in the first instance. So in, in a book of 12 chapters, it does make sense that the 12th ch chapter is the concluding chapter. I'm not getting some feedback here, so I'm doubting my logic. Please confirm my logic with a nod or just something that makes me think, yeah, okay, I'm not off track here. In a book of 12 chapters, the 12th chapter is concluding and is a concluding chapter. Yeah? Thank you. That's really comforting. <laughs> and the final verses of the final chapter are the concluding verses and the conclusion of everything. Great. I like that. Yes, that gives me great. Now, this is what we get. The beginning of the final chapter says, remember also your creator. Another version or other version says, remember now your creator. And then at the end it says, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, or the conclusion of all that we've been saying is fear God and keep his commandments. Now I just want to touch on you know, this concept here in verse 11. It talks about the words of the wise, and this just says how seriously we should take what we're hearing. He says the words of the wise are like goads. Now goads are those sharp sort of instruments that are used to guide sheep. Not particularly comfortable when, they, when you hit against them and they send you back because you don't particularly want to keep hitting against the goads. And he says they're like nails firmly fixed are the collected saying, and they're given by one shepherd. I haven't found a translation that doesn't capitalize the S on shepherd. And your Bible may do the same. They're given by one shepherd. Some translations will say, God, the one shepherd. So in the midst of all of this, God is saying, this is really important. This is really important. And this preacher, teacher, Solomon, in verse 12, goes on to say, Beware, because beyond these, anything beyond these, beware of it. It's not, what he's saying, very complicated. Beyond these, you don't need to go looking very far for much else. And that cuts across scripture time and time again. God doesn't complicate our lives with instructions this long. 20, go and do 20 things. If you go away from here thinking, do I do this, that or the other? That's not God. Anytime you get those confusing, conflicting instructions, God has nothing to do with that. When God is instructing us, it's very simple and it generally can be boiled down to 
one one thing. Remember Jesus to Martha, or sorry, yeah, to Martha. He says, Martha, you're worried about many things. One thing is required. David himself, Solomon's father, said, One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. Paul said, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I pursue. One thing. And that is where this is beginning to boil down to. One thing. And that one thing is wrapped up into these two verses. Verse 1. Remember your Creator. And 2, verse 13. The end of all this discussion. Fear God and keep His commandments. Because this is the whole duty of man. Now... Some translations say duty, which begins to look or seem as if that's a burden, something that is your duty. And actually, the Good News translation flips it, and if you look at the original version, it says, because that is what man is created for. That is the essence of who you are, what you are, and what you were made for. So you are being called to lock into your purpose. That one thing. So, very quickly, before we dive into that conclusion, which I think boils on into one thing, which I pray that we will just zoom in on. Those of us who've done um, any form of edu- education or you've done a research project, whether that's at whatever level, if you conclude on something, you must have been looking for something in the first place. Again, is that fair? I'm always looking to see because I make these generalizations and it's helpful to see if they are generalizations. And, and I know one of you or two of you will say, well, that's a bit of, that's not true because in this scenario it didn't happen. But generally speaking, if you're looking at some big conclusion, in order to understand the conclusion, it helps to try and find out what the question or the issue or the problem statement was. So it just helps to, to drive back into that. I think you get a bit of a you get a bit of a sense if you jump to the conclusion, but it helps to understand what the individual was looking at in the first place. Now, verse the beginning of Ecclesiastes starts to tell us uh, what uh, Solomon was thinking about. Chapter 1, it says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He opens verse 2, so his first statement, other than the description of who he was, was vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything is useless. What a life to live. (laughs) If everything is useless... What's the point? You can see what's going on in in his head. What does man gain by all the toil and the work which he works under the sun? No gain. It's useless. And then he goes on to describe the cycle of life. Or the cycles of life. He talks about a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. 
the sun rises, the sun goes down, everything else stays the same. You know, we all think our lives are so important, and they are. But often, whether you're here or you're not there, everything else is going to just keep going. The sun will still rise. You may be in a moment where something so serious has happened. You think the earth and the world is ending. But actually, everything is just going on just the same. Nothing stops. It just goes. The wind blows to the south and then it goes around to the north. And then it comes back again. Streams and then it even goes through the the sort of... um, what are, what's that cycle called with the rain? That the rain falls and then it vaporizes, it goes up and down. What's that cycle called in geography again? Water cycle? Thank you. Uh, and it describes the water cycle. And in verse 8 he says, all things are full of weariness. This is, imagine living in that space. That everything is just burdensome, weary and useless. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, and the ear is not filled with he- hearing. And then he says, what has been, is what will be. And what has been done, is what will be done. Stuff just keeps going on and on. You know, we have technology and all this stuff. It's just changing the way things are done, and the, and the interface between us and things. The stuff human beings have done, they're still doing. The way they've done it, they've been doing that before. You know, it just goes on and on and on. And actually for us, life just seems like some kind of conveyor belt. And this guy is looking at life and trying to make sense of it. Like many of us do from time to time, like many unbelieving people are trying to do. Make sense of life. What does it mean? What should I be doing? What is the meaning of life? I typed into an AI bot the meaning of life just to see. And said a bunch of rubbish, but... (laughs) He, she started, it's actually a she, at least the picture was a she, but it's a computer. Said, ah, that old question. And then goes on to tell me an answer to that question. As in, and then it says something, it's on my phone, so, and I don't have my phone, so I'm going to have to make it up. It said something like, you need to find out what really you love and what you really get fulfilled with and you need to make an impact in the life, in, in, in the world around you and I thought, that's just answering a question with another set of questions because I don't have a clue what I love I don't have a clue what fulfills me I don't have a clue how to make an impact so how helpful is that? and then she, he, computer, ended saying what brings you joy in life? <laughs> I, I asked you <laughs> It's because, folks, people have been asking this question and nobody has come to any kind of meaningful or reasonable Would you can put, put up the slide No one has come up with any kind of reasonable answer to these questions 
and apologies if you can't read the things, but just look at the picture which just gives a sense of what life is like for many of us. We're just born and we just hop out onto this conveyor belt and then we're just transported to school because that's what everybody does and then you go and then every now and again there's the old guy who tries to come off the conveyor belt and then the system goes bonkers and says there's a system error because you're supposed to stay on the conveyor belt and you're just pushed through and everything else is just happening around you you're not in control of anything, you're not making these decisions, you're just doing things because everybody else did these things I don't really understand what's the purpose of school, what's the purpose of work, what's the purpose of family we're just doing it because someone else did it and someone else told us and we were brought up and all of this sort of stuff and look, look at the kinds of questions people are asking and of the existential questions in, in Google the third most asked question this was a study in the US was what is the meaning of life it's because there isn't an, a, an answer outside of God and Sol Solomon did his best so he says that he applied his heart in verse 1 and verse 13 and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven because he had come to a conclusion that this whole existence was unhappy and in fact in verse 17 of chapter 2 he says I hated life because he realized the verse before that there was no value even in his wisdom because he came to a he said he said the wise and the foolish the same thing happens to them so there is no benefit in me even being wise he says and so I hated life and these are the things going through his mind and some of the things going through our minds from time to time and so he thought let me apply my heart to wisdom and let me try and seek to see if I can better understand what we should be doing as humans but he didn't stop there he thought let me follow through on further methodology let me see if I can test life to answer what the, the, the AI bot said to me find out what really really fulfills you and so in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes he said in his heart, and actually I'll read this from the NLT he said in his heart come, let's try pleasure so apart from the study he says let's do some practical experiments let's look for the good things in life I'm reading and picking out bits from the NLT of chapter 2 but I found that this too was meaningless he tried laughter he said this is silly he said, what good does it bring to seek pleasure? He said he tried to cheer himself with wine, that didn't work. He tried to experience all sorts of things, it didn't work. He said, I tried to find meaning by building huge homes and by planning beautiful vineyards. 
I made gardens. By the way, Steve, when I read this, I thought of you. <laughs> Just because you're the gardener. And, and you, you were speaking to us about gardening. But anyway, I know you're not Solomon. <laughs> I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water, to irrigate them. I bought slaves, both men and women, others were born into my household. I owned large herds, flocks, more than any of the kings who were ever before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold. The treasure of kings. I hired singers. All the cultural stuff you can imagine. He did. He had many beautiful concubines. We already heard the numbers earlier. He said he even became greater than anyone who had lived in Jerusalem. Things that we aspire to. He did. He said, anything I wanted, I would take. Imagine that. And still, he says, as I looked at all of this, I realized they were all meaningless. They were not the solution. So I go back to my snap my, my AI bot and I say, no, I, I still can't find out what fulfills me. I don't know. I've tried everything. And we've tried all sorts of things. And we still continue to pursue all sorts of things. And after all of this, he concludes, Remember, also, or in other translations, remember now your Creator. All those things, they have no purpose without God. Many of them are good things, many of them, some of them are destructive, so not all of them are helpful, but certainly building vineyards, gardening, and all of this sort of stuff is great. But it finds its purpose in God. In itself will not lead to fulfillment. In itself will not lead to a sense of purpose and accomplishment. All those things and everything we can ever imagine finds its purpose in our Creator. And that's why he concludes, remember your Creator. But let's talk about the timing of that. He's effectively saying, remember your Creator now. Don't wait till later. Because at some point, it will be too late. At some point, you won't have the capacity, the ability, you won't be able to. So whether we're young or we're old, effectively the message is, do it now. Because if you want to live a life of purpose, every day spent without remembering Him is purposeless. That's what brings that sense of vanity, uselessness, is when something is dislodged from its original purpose. It's like buying a fridge, a new fridge, but not using it. Or maybe just using it to store dry goods. And you have your baked bean tins and all your stuff in there, and then you just keep the fridge there. It's totally dislodged from the purpose. Why? A cupboard could have done that. 
is dislodged from his purpose. And so, zooming in and finishing, as I should now, remember now your Creator. Now is the moment, right now. Not tomorrow, and not the day after. And it says here, your Creator. It didn't say the Creator. So this is not some remember abstractly that God is there. Your Creator. My Creator. Remember that you were made by somebody. And remember Him. Now. And you know why I said the two things become one? Is because when you start thinking about your Creator, you start to think, well, I must have had a purpose in Him if He created me. And so you start to begin to understand the purpose. And he says, this is the reason you were made. As you start to think about your Creator, verse 13 tells us the reason we were made. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Or reverence God. Acknowledge Him. Bow before Him. Give Him space and keep his commandments. And I'm not going to use the duty because I don't like that. I like the Good News Bible that says because this is all that we were created for. Your purpose is to remember your Creator. And it says as we reverence him, he says keep his commandments. And before we go away and think, well, what commandments do I need to go and uh, keep? I'll just refer to the words of Jesus when a group of people came to him and said, what must we be doing to do the works of God in John chapter 6? And he said, believe him who, who he sent, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One thing, remember your Creator. Who is Jesus. And believe in him. And this breaks through. Any sense of futility. That you may be feeling. And that, has, that you have felt. And as we close. I'll leave one word with you. Not one word. Something else. Beware of further study. I want to say. Because the preacher took time to beware, to warn us of further study. I'm all for study. I love reading. Well, I don't actually. Um, I, I'm more a factual reader. I read... Yeah, I'm boring, but I read stuff like general knowledge stuff. And, you know, I'm the one that can look at an engine on Wikipedia and read how it works, and I can read that. That's the kind of stuff I read like fiction and all this stuff. I don't really do that stuff. But, so I'm all for reading, I support it, I think it's helpful. But I would just take us back in matters relating to what do I need to do in my life. I would take you back to the words of the preacher, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
And what am I saying here? I'm saying there's some of us. We are not breaking through to the relationship with Jesus because we still want to keep studying things. I want to find out more. I want to know more. I want to read another book. I want to read another book. God is saying, stop it. Just come to me. You read the books later. But the key issue about coming to Jesus doesn't need another book. It doesn't need another study. It doesn't need another YouTube video. It doesn't need another anything. He's one step away from you. Right here, right now. The books can come. And they will come. But in, in matters relating to the relationship with Jesus, you don't need another book. You don't need another um, person to tell you something. He's right here, right now, sitting next to you. And he said, open up your heart to me. Doesn't need another book. Let's pray.